The following podcast is provided by truthforsaints.com, a resource for cults, religions, and church history. Hello, and welcome to the Truth for Saints podcast, where we look to provide a Bible-based perspective regarding world religions, cults, sects, denominations, and philosophical worldviews, all for the purpose of equipping the saints of God for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ, as according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. Last week, we went through Philippians chapter 3, particularly concentrating on verses 12 to 14 with a new perspective on the new year. This week, we are going to talk about one more of the essentials of the Christian faith, that is, who is Jesus Christ? Who is this person that everyone refers to? Some refer to as a teacher, some call a prophet, some call a divine avatar, uh, some, some call Messiah, and some call Almighty God. Who is this person and why should we know him? How can we know him? And what does he have to say about himself? Well, getting right into it, the first thing I'd like to talk about is why is it important? What is the importance of knowing who Jesus is, the person of Jesus? There's a fancy name for this. It's called Christology. And why is this important? Well, uh, let's take a look at, at a passage in John chapter 8, verses 23 through 24. And he, Jesus, was saying to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are from this world. I am not of this world. Verse 24, therefore, I say to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And then in John, that same book, chapter 14, verse 6, the Lord states, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The book of John helps us to understand clearly that there is only one way to Almighty God, and that is through the person of his Son. And we've talked a little bit about this on podcasts in the past about our sin condition, about the necessity for having that removed, as it says in the book of Isaiah, uh, for your sins have separated you from your God so that he cannot hear. What must we do so that the Lord would hear our prayer when we turn to him? Well, those sins must be removed. Who is it that removes those sins? It's the person of Jesus. You know, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? He said this in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 14. He said, uh, the way that passage goes, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they, the disciples said, some say John the Baptist and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. There are all kinds of ideas about who Jesus is. Some people even try to go so far as to say he didn't exist. He was a mythological uh, person or mythological creature. But in all of these, that, of course, is the most far out of all ideas, simply because there are so many extra biblical sources, that is, sources outside the Bible that declare the existence of Jesus that were back from the time of contemporaries of Jesus, one of which is the historian Josephus, who was a Jewish man and not a Christian at all and reported on the existence of Jesus and even his execution uh, at the hands of uh, Pilate. Well, let's take a look at a few of these. The first idea that I'd like to take a look at is uh, the idea that uh, he's a good prophet. Uh, let's, let's take a look at what Islam has to say in, uh, in the Quran. 
Surah 61, uh, verse 6, reads like this. And remember, Jesus, the son of Mary, said, O children of Israel, I am the messenger of Allah, sent to you confirming the law which came before me and giving glad tidings of a messenger to come after me. This is supposed to be Jesus talking, whose name shall be Ahmad. But when he came to them with clear signs, they said, this is evident sorcery. Now, that's clear from the Quran that the Muslims believe Jesus to be a good prophet. They believe him to be uh, one of the prophets. But what about all of those passages? In fact, the one passage, uh, the passages we first read in, in John chapter 8 and in John chapter 14, where Jesus points to himself, number one in, in chapter 8 of John says that unless you believe that I am, that is God Almighty, unless you believe I am the one whom he has sent, you will die in your sins. That is, you will die in separation from Almighty God and will go to separation, which we call hell. And then in chapter 14, there is no way but to the Father, but through Jesus, not through Ahmad, not through another prophet, not through someone else, but through Jesus himself. What? How can he be a good prophet and yet make these claims? Well, one of the things that Muslims would say in that situation is that um, where it disagrees with the Quran, the Quran must be abide, must one must abide by the Quran and reject the others as being corrupt. But the problem with the Quran is that yeah, it came along hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, has undergone thousands of revisions, and does not indeed possess the same power and authority as the Almighty Word of God, where, which declared the risen Savior, which does declare the risen Savior. Then it's worth considering. We know that he couldn't be a good prophet if he proclaimed himself, if he said to others that they that they must believe that he is claiming the title of deity for himself. If he claims that deity for himself, that disqualifies him as a good prophet. It would actually make him a false prophet unless he he is and was who he said he was. Now, we'll take a look at that and, and see what Jesus does to demonstrate that he is indeed who he says he is. But first, before we do that, let's take a look at uh, another idea of who Jesus is that, that, that's floating around out there. There are some that believe that he's a created being. Uh, there are some out there who believe that he is uh, Michael the Archangel, and that would be the Jehovah's Witnesses. And the idea behind Jehovah, the Jehovah's Witnesses is that uh, uh, a man named Charles Taz Russell uh, began a Bible study. He came out of the restoration movement of the of the uh, mid nineteenth century, which was a very uh, which was very apocalyptic, and uh, had already amassed a history of false predictions of when Jesus would return. But he picked up in the same vein and began to uh, talk about. Jesus is returning in a certain date, 1914, and then he would predict other dates. I think there was 1898, I think was one of the dates. And Charles Taz Russell picked up and was carried on where the restoration movement sort of left off, if you will. One of the things that Charles Taz Russell believed is that all of Christianity got it wrong and he was there to restore the church to the earth. Very similar to uh, Joseph Smith's idea that he was going to restore the church to the earth. One of the things that uh, Charles Taz Russell uh, would state is that uh, 
Christians had it wrong in believing in the Trinity. And we talked about the Trinity on an earlier podcast, the idea of one God and uh, Father, one God, the Father, one God, the Son, one God, the Holy Spirit, one, one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So what he believed, he found, and those that uh, that sort of gathered up around him, which is now today known as the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society in Brooklyn, New York, they believe that he's Michael the Archangel. So what they believe is at First uh, Thessalonians chapter four verse six, verse sixteen. Uh, the command of Jesus Christ for the resurrection to begin is described as the archangel's call. And Jude 9 says that the archangel is Michael. Would it be appropriate to liken Jesus' commanding call to that of someone lesser in authority? Reasonably, then, the, the archangel Michael is Jesus Christ. That's according to the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, page 218 of uh, Reasoning, uh, 1989. It's somewhat of a faulty idea that... Uh, Michael the Archangel, based on two scriptures that are completely taken out of context, would then amass the whole personage of who who Jesus is. Because the problem is with that is in Colossians chapter one, uh, we read that Jesus created all things. All things were created for him, through him and by him. Now, that would include Michael the Archangel and, and any other angel there might have been. All of which were created through Jesus, according to the Bible, but not according to Charles Taz Russell and shortly after him, Judge Rutherford, who, for the most part, who would sort of coalesce their ideas of what they'd find here and there in Scripture into what today is known as sort of Jehovah's Witness theology or Christology. Well, there's another view of Jesus as a created being. Uh, There's a group of people that believes that he is one of the many sons of a god on a planet near starting Kolob. Now, that idea comes to us from Joseph Smith, who, uh, along with Brigham Young after him, sort of founded and built what we would call Mormon doctrine. So you, let me read you a little bit from uh, the Pearl of Great Price in the Book of Abraham. This is from uh, this is what the Mormons have to say about who Jesus is. And I saw I saw the stars, and they were very great, and that one of them was nearest unto the throne of God, and that there were many great ones which were near unto it. And the Lord said unto me, These are the governing ones, and the name of the great one is Kolob, because it is near unto me, for I am the Lord thy God. I have set this one to govern all those which belong to the same order as that upon which thou standest. That's Abraham chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. So what we see there is this is a God who lives on a planet near a star named Kolob. The idea behind this God is that he started out as a man, grew into God, and then had millions of God's spirit babies, one of which is named Jesus, another which was named Lucifer, who eventually became the devil. That again is is refuted by Colossians, because if there was a planet near a star and there was a star named Kolob, say for instance there was, there isn't, but if there was... All of those would have been created by Almighty God for Jesus, through Jesus, and by Jesus. So we we have a a number of of scriptures that we'll go through uh, in this session and and in subsequent sessions where we'll, we'll see what the Bible has to say about who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's accomplished, and compare it to a number of these uh, types, uh, the, and compare it to a number of the ideas about who Jesus is uh, that are out there among the cults and, and uh, world religions.
Now, the other idea is that uh, Jesus is a divine avatar or an incarnation of a god, little g. That would be something you would find in Hinduism or even the Baha'i faith. The Hindus say that uh, teenage Jesus traveled across Southeast Asia, learning yoga tra uh, traditions, and then returned home to be a guru to the Jews. Uh, to Hindus, Jesus' proclamation, the Father and I are one, confirmed the Hindu idea that everyone, through rigorous spiritual practice, can realize their own universal God consciousness. That's, that's an idea from just a, a sort of uh, cross-section of a number of, of world religions uh, and cults to get an idea of, of what do others think of this Jesus of the Bible. But you know, in, when Jesus said, uh, as we'll read now in, in Matthew uh, 16, you know, when he said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, that's just a few of, of, uh, of the views of, of who people say he is. What we're doing is basically answering the same way the disciples answered when they said, some say John the Baptist and the others Elijah and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, right? That's what the disciples did. They gave him the answer of the peoples around him. This is what everybody's saying who he is. Well, they answered his question because he wanted to say, who are people saying that I am? So what do the, what do the scriptures have to say regarding the person of Christ? So in that same passage... Matthew chapter 16, a few verses later, verses 15 through 17, then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And now that's the key question, because you know, everybody can have their idea about who Jesus is, but really it's who you say he is that, that you really should be concerned about. Because if indeed, when the Lord said he is the only way to the Father in chapter 14, and that unless you believe that he, that is the revealed Christ, is God, John chapter 8, that you will die in your sins, it's important that you know who he is and that you have the right Jesus and not a false Jesus that, that the others around are saying. You don't have uh, a version of John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets, but you have the incarnate Son of God. So continuing on in Matthew chapter 16, but who do you say I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The problem here is we have a world organization that is called the church. Uh, it's not the church, but it, it's called the Roman Catholic Church, and it bases its idea of uh, sort of... Um, a supreme papal authority over all other papal authority. That all comes from uh, sort of backtracking and retrofitting that scripture uh, to say that there you are, the church is built on Peter. Peter was the first pope. But, you know, Peter didn't believe that that's what was said. And so we can take what Peter has to say when he writes to us in his epistle, when he taught, it's obvious that who, who the church is built on, according to Peter, it's not, and it's not him, it's built on Jesus and that you and I are living stones. Those of us who believe in Jesus and trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins are living stones that build the church, but we build on the foundation of Jesus, not Peter. Let's hear what Peter has to say. First Peter chapter two, verses four through eight. 
And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious corner stone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very corner stone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Quite clearly, what Peter is saying is that for you and I, first of all, we're, we're being built up into a priesthood. Now, the Roman Catholics do not believe that you and I, or believers in Christ, uh, are, par are a part of the priesthood. They believe that it's uh, those that have apostolic succession and that are appointed by bishops and their, their bishops and, and their uh, cardinals. And, uh, and, and their hierarchy, that those are the ones that are the priests and they act as an intercessor between men and God. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that you that there is only one intercessor between intercessory between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Uh, and that you and I are ambassadors of God, pleading with those who are lost, saying, please be reconciled to God. But the thing that's important here is what Peter's quoting is Isaiah 28, verse 16. And what he says is, Jesus is a choice stone, a precious cornerstone upon whom everything else is built. And for the unbeliever, rather, he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And that is the truth. When we were in disbelief, he was a stone to us, a stumbling block. We didn't care about him. We didn't want to hear about him. In fact, we thought people that talked about Jesus were a bit weird. And because that the idea that a stone of stumbling and a rock and offense is something that, that, that goes back thousands of years. And the Lord said that that is what he would be to those who disbelieve. But thank God for his grace. Thank God for his mercy. Uh, if your eyes were opened, as my eyes were opened, and we recognize to see that this is the precious cornerstone upon whom we cling to for life and complete forgiveness for our sins. We don't cling to Peter. We don't pray to Peter. We don't pray to any of the saints. We don't pray to Mary because that verse in Matthew 16 is the declaration that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And it is upon this rock that I will build my church, the Lord says. And that's the, the rock of Peter's testimony. So back in John chapter eight, unless you believe that I am, you know, there, there has never been less of an excuse to not know the real Jesus uh, than today. You know, in the past, you would have, even if you would have sought out Jesus, you would have had a very hard time doing so if you could, because you couldn't get your hands on the scriptures. They might have been in the hands of priests. And if you had sought Jesus to have a personal relationship with him or even talk to others about him, you might have found yourself burned at the stake, as many were, just like John Huss, just like uh, uh, the Lollards of, of Wycliffe and the Waldensians of Peter Walden, Peter Waldo, those that sought to, to find Jesus, to have that relationship with him and to preach him as lay preachers and to get the scriptures into the language of the common people. These were persecuted and put to death. Uh, but today we don't have that issue. We don't have that problem. 
There are Bibles in every library, even a Walmart. You can find uh, through the Bible readings on podcasts. You can find books about helping you to understand the scriptures. Well, we used to say there's a church on every corner, but uh, unfortunately, most of those are are part of the problem as this idea of uh, a a seeker or sensual driven church has, uh, has sort of taken over the church quite a bit and that um, the idea of preaching Jesus as he is and the gospel as it truly exists are discouraged and um, are rarely found. In fact, it's, it's very difficult, no matter where we go, it is very difficult to find a good Bible-believing church because slowly but surely, uh, many churches have succumbed to the idea that uh, they must be more like the world in order to attract the world, which is not true. That's not what the Lord did. That's not what the disciples did. That's not what the early fathers did. Uh, they all stood for the truth and suffered at the hands of the world because they stood for the truth. Well, let's take a look at four, what has been called, four great Christological passages. As I mentioned, we're talking about the person of Jesus. That's who he is. That is who he who he, who he was prior to his incarnation, what his incarnation looked like, what it, what what took place at the incarnation, what was his life and his ministry all about, the importance of his resurrection, and then his subsequent exaltation, which is where he is in exaltation now. When he returns, he will return as the exalted Christ and not as the suffering servant, uh, as as predicted for his first coming. But when he comes the second time, he'll return in the glory of his father, which is where he exists now. And he's in that place of exaltation. But we'll take a look at each of these sort of stages and parts. Christology can actually span semesters upon semesters of of study, books and volumes and uh, lectures upon lectures to, to get an idea of of what we can know about who Jesus is. Now, obviously, in this podcast, I'm just going to try to tackle it with a couple of uh, brief episodes to, to give a high level or an overview of, of Christology with the idea that maybe this is something that can pique your interest and encourage you to examine these things maybe a little deeper by finding books and finding resources to know even more than what you've picked up on these podcast episodes. But uh, so for the for, for time's sake, let's go through a few of the Christological passages, the four passages, which are, are four of the best for describing who he is. And what we'll do is we'll read through these fairly quickly and uh, we'll talk just a bit about them. So the first one, the first passage would be the Gospel of John, chapter one. You could say the Gospel of John itself, chapter 1, also chapter 14, uh, verses 6 through 9, which we've already addressed uh, verse 6, but we'll, we'll go a bit further there as well. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 22, and then Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Let's first take a look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, 
And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Again, if I could reiterate, if there was a prophet, if there was just a, a good prophet, a good man, he would have come into being through Jesus and wouldn't be Jesus. He was far more than a good man. Michael the archangel and any of the other angels came into being through Jesus. Therefore, Jesus cannot be Michael the archangel. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Any planets, any stars uh, for the God of Mormonism and all of the spirit babies that came from that God of Mormonism who became a man, who grew into man and then took over godhood from his planet near, near Kolob, all of those stars, all of those planets came into existence, if indeed they did exist, from the God of Scriptures. So that's where we start as far as that, as far as that passage goes. Now, chapter 1, if you go a little further down into verse 12 through 18, there are some more key verses there in that same passage. But as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, meaning John the Baptist, testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And that's a passage that tells us quite clearly in, in the Gospel of John that this is God incarnate. That God the Father came down in the person of the Son and won our salvation for us. And it completely obliterates the idea. I should say it stands in, in stark contrast to the idea that you can adhere to biblical teaching and say that Jesus is anything less than God. You have to depart from the Bible and embrace some sort of external writing, some sort of external revelation or additional revelation that comes through a person. And then you have to test that revelation and see if it lines up with the truth of God's word. And if it does not, which in the case of the Quran does not, the Pearl of Grace, Great Price does not, and nor, nor do the writings of the uh, Watchtower Bible and Tract Society line up with scripture, therefore they must be rejected. Let's look at chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, verses 6 through 9. Now, 6 we've read already. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? So that's Jesus, in his own words, explaining that he reveals who the Father is. 
Now, I've said this a few times on the podcast, but I do like it. I think it's a very good sort of encapsulation of what we look at. Uh, Chuck Missler is uh, one of those uh, teachers who uh, has a few uh, quotable moments. And one of the things that he said, I, I, I tend to repeat on a fairly regular, regular basis, and that is that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So we see here in chapter 14 that Jesus is saying that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. The idea behind that is so that they know that this isn't someone else winning their salvation for them, but God Almighty winning it for them. The Lord said in the Old Testament, I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak exactly what I say when he's speaking of the prophet who is to come, when he's speaking of the Messiah who is to come. And Jesus came, he said, I speak only the words that my father gives me. And so we see that these are the things, this is one of the things that we'll talk about a little later in the podcast, in, the, in, the, in our Christology study. We'll talk about some of the ministry of, of what Jesus did. And one of the things he, he came to do for us is to reveal the Father to us, win our salvation for us, but also reveal the Father to us so that we could know who God truly is and we could see that he is not the God of our mind. He's not the God of our thoughts. He's not the God of our invention, but he is the God of all creation in glory, in perfection, in total perfection, and filled with grace and love and kindness and goodness in the person of his son and in sending his son for your sake and for my sake when we were enemies, yet God loved us and died for us. Well, let's look at the, the second great Christological passage in the Bible. There are many passages, but uh, in fact, we're going through the, the church, we're going through the uh, Gospel of Mark. And you can even see in Mark many passages which show Jesus' superiority over the spirit realm, his superiority over the old religious order, his new covenant versus the old covenant, his uh, authority over sickness, his authority over the waves of the sea, and so on and so forth. So obviously there are several Christological passages that explain who Jesus is, but these four that are, are four of the key ones that uh, we'll reference quite regularly throughout our study. The second Christological passage is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I'll go ahead and read that for us. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of of God the Father. Now, we talked a little bit about Philippians last last time, but this great chapter here in Philippians really was an exhortation of the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church to remain humble and that they were about to go through some sufferings and some persecutions that he had gone through himself. And sort of as um, an illustration for, uh, as an example for how to be humble the Apostle Paul reveals for us in this passage uh, who Jesus is. 
In verse 6, he says, who, although he, Jesus, existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, that is, held on to, or, uh, you know, refusal to give it up, or, or to be chased after, but rather he emptied himself, Jesus did, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So we see that when we talk about his preexistence, uh, we see that Jesus is preexistent. Humans aren't, but Jesus is because Jesus being God incarnate was in glory with his father to begin with, uh, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, came down, emptied himself, uh, became a man, a bondservant for you and for me. Uh, we see that in that, we that the, the different principles are taking place. One, we know who he was in the the uh, his pre-incarnate state. We can see something of what's happening behind the scenes in his incarnation of what he's taking on, what what's happening there as he as God Almighty is uh, becomes man. And then uh, ultimately, uh, we see that his position was is and always will be deity he never ceased to be that he just emptied himself and became a man but we'll talk about that a bit a bit uh, later on the third christological passage that we can look at is in colossians again this is a, a an epistle from the apostle paul to the colossians and it's one that I've already re referenced for us on this show in chapter 1 verses 13 through 22 for he and that goes back to verse 3 of the same passage. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, meaning Jesus, is, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created, all things have been created through him, that's Jesus, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That whole passage tells us of the person of Jesus before he came to the earth, while he was on earth, what he accomplished in his ministry on earth, what he accomplished for you and for me, and where he is now, how he dwells in glory now. Everything, an outline of the entire Christological study could, could be formulated just in, that just in that passage from Colossians. Now, I realize that we say four Christological passages, but some of, the, some of these sections are sort of... Uh, sort of have two chapters so you, you you it's kind of a cheat to say four because there's probably about more like seven uh, as you look at different chapters within within one of these books but 
in that same epistle of Colossians in chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, we see the Apostle Paul writing, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgression and the, circ and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rules and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Now, this passage talks about what Jesus has accomplished, and this also could go into soteriology as well. But for, our, for, for the purposes of what we're going through, this talks about the work and the ministry of Jesus, what he accomplished while, while here. Finally, we come to the fourth great Christological passage in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory. He, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, God's glory, and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he, God, ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, now he is God, says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. Verse 8 that I just read is God the Father referring to God the Son as God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You, he's speaking of Jesus, have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they all will become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up, like a garment they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. 
This is a clear declaration of the person of, of Jesus Christ, his deity, his position, his place with the Father. And it is far superior than that of the angels. So there is no way that he could be Michael the archangel because this passage clearly tells us he's not some angel that has been born or brought into the whole thing. Uh, that uh, that has been birthed or created, but rather he is God Almighty, creator of all the angels and of a much superior place to the angels. In chapter two, not much further along of Hebrews, now you probably probably recall when I talked about the background of the Bible, we believe in the inerrancy of scripture. Uh, but the chapters and the verse markings were something that were added much later. I think Stephanus was the one that um, is responsible for most of those. Chapter markings and verses came along much later. So technically, this is all about the same passage. As we proceed just a little bit further into chapter 2, uh, verses 10 through 18. But we do see him, Jesus, who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from, the, from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who, through fear of death, were subject to slavery all of their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he was suffered, which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So this is the same book that tells us that Jesus is our high priest who lives to make intercession for us, and that we have uh, a high priest who is sympathetic with us in our weaknesses. But in these passages, we see not only who Jesus is, but again, his work, his ministry, and what he accomplishes. So to recap, we're talking about the key question behind who Jesus is. Who do other people say that I am? And then Jesus's follow-up question, that same passage in Matthew chapter 16. Yes, but who do you say that I am? So we looked at what the Bible had to say in four key passages about who Jesus is. God Almighty, God incarnate, the one who forgives sins, the one who will return to glory, to whom all people will bow, all knees, and all tongues confess that he is Lord, the one who has reconciled us to God, again, himself, by the cross, 
the one who has worked our salvation for us. That's what the Bible says about this Jesus, which is in stark contrast to what the, the world religions say, to what the cults say. But really, the key question for you is, who do you say that Jesus is? Because therein, we we would then refer back to the original passages we started with in John chapter 8 and chapter 14, where if we can believe that it, when he says, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. We looked at four passages that declared that Jesus is the great I am. And John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth and the life and no man comes to the father but by me. And so who do you say that he is? Because that will then lead you back to those passages in John, whereby further thought must be given to the person of Jesus, to the correct understanding of who Jesus is. Because we can sometimes believe in our own version of him, in our own mind, or the version that someone else has passed on to us. But the idea is to believe in the testimony of the apostles as delivered to us in scripture. That'll conclude this episode. When we uh, return, we'll talk further about the person of Christ, and we'll go into his pre-existence and uh, his pre-existent state, his pre-existent attributes, and then also his eternal attributes and his eternal deity. And we'll also talk about the incarnation of Christ. What exactly took place when God the Son came to earth? How did it happen? Who talked about it in the Old Testament? Where can we find passages that will tell us who this Jesus, who this Messiah would be and how he would come and where he would show up? All of those answers are in the Old Testament, and we'll examine them uh, in a much closer light. But until then, thank you for stopping by the Truth for Saints podcast. If you'd like further information about world religions, what world religions believe, what denominations believe, uh, cults and and sects and what are worldviews and what what are the various worldviews that are out there what's your worldview and what is the biblical worldview you can all you can find all of that information at truthforsaints.com and if you want to get in touch with me you can contact me through the truthforsaints.com page and I'll be happy to get back with you as soon as I can in case you want back episodes feel free to click the subscribe buttons which you'll find on the website itself or on your podcast player podcast Public, FM Player, Podcatcher, Podbean, many of the podcast sites, and, mo- and most importantly, of course, is iTunes. You'll find the Truth for Saints podcast. Click subscribe. We'll see you on the next episode of the Truth for Saints podcast. Thank you for listening to this podcast provided by truthforsaints.com.